We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. It is 7.08 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Keep it here on News Radio 830 WCCO. Um, Later this hour, we are going to visit with uh, Rod Jasmer, who is the author of Without Explanation, uh, a true story of a devastating loss on what was going to be a, a trip of a lifetime. And uh, he has written about this loss in a new book, and we'll visit with him about that. Eight o'clock hour, of course, the one and only David Schultz. A lot to talk about there with the stalemate at the legislature, and as well as the continuing developments uh, in the investigation into Russian interference into the 2016 presidential election, as well as into allegations that there was perhaps some kind of involvement by some members of the Trump campaign or administration uh, with their ties to Russia. Uh, But this half hour, we're going to talk about a subject that I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding. I know that certainly Senator Al Franken has really made this one of his key issues. And the subject is net neutrality. And the Federal Communications Commission under President Trump has officially begun undoing net neutrality rules that the agency passed two years ago. Craig Aaron is president of Free Press, and he is joining us right now. Craig, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. All right. Why don't you just, because I think that there's a lot of confusion, uh, and you know, people are kind of like, oh, what, what, what really is that? Tell us, what, what is your understanding of what net neutrality is? So net neutrality just means no discrimination. It means when you go online, you should be able to go wherever you want, do whatever you want, download whatever you want. And it's not up to your Internet service provider, your phone or your cable company to decide which websites and services are going to work and which won't. Or or how um, fast your service is because you're paying $100 more or something like that. Exactly. It's it's that they they can't deliver it at a different speed. In other words, you know, if if if, if you're signed up, uh, you know, for DSL at home versus a high speed fiber, you know, if you're paying for a higher tier of speeds, you are going to get faster service. But the problem comes in, and what net neutrality protects against is that phone or cable company deciding, well. We're going to make these certain websites work better than other ones, or we're going to make our video service faster than Netflix uh, or faster than YouTube, uh, or we're going to pick the news organizations that we own. We're going to make sure their stuff can get through the fastest, but uh, WCCO, we don't have a piece of that, so it's going to be slowed down on the stream. Um, in terms of, of this you know, legislation that was passed uh uh, or actually, it was, it was more of a regulation, wasn't it, by the that's, FCC? That's right. That's I mean, it was not – the legislation is the wrong word. The FCC kind of puts this in place uh, – has it really been a couple of years now? Um, yeah, it's, it's been since 2015, but the fight goes back uh, almost a decade uh, where net neutrality has really been uh, in dispute and being fought over in Washington. And there were a series of 
failed attempts by the FCC to make strong rules uh, that kept getting overturned in court because they weren't paying attention to the underlying law, uh, the Communications Act. And what they did in 2015 is they restored the agency's authority under that law, which had been sort of diminished during the Bush administration. They restored that authority. They made strong rules. Those rules have since been upheld in court. But now that the Trump administration is here, they're trying to roll them back. And what and kind of go over what those rules set in place as far as you're concerned. Yeah, essentially, the, the, the key parts of the rules, it's, it's no blocking, no throttling, no discrimination. Uh, they make sure that uh, a phone or a cable company can't manipulate your Internet experience, uh, that they can't create fast lanes for their own content while slowing down others. Uh, they basically ensure that whatever they come up with in the future that might manipulate content or, or your web experience in ways that would be hard for an individual to even know what was going on, uh, that they can't get away with that. So, for example, a couple years ago, a lot of Netflix customers started complaining because their Netflix service was bad. They were getting that spinning wheel. Uh, and so they call up their cable company and they say, what, what's going on? They're like, oh, well, maybe you need to subscribe to a higher tier of service and pay more every month. And a lot of people did. But it turned out that that wasn't the problem. And the problem was that the cable company was actually clogging the pipes. Uh, they were actually making it harder for that traffic from Netflix uh, to reach paying customers. Uh, and, and what net neutrality does is it allows the agency to step in if and when there, there is that kind of abuse or manipulation and, you know, make sure these companies uh, are actually held accountable and someone who can actually do something about it, namely the Federal Communications Commission, can step in. And but, you know, the Trump administration arguing, listen, this the government shouldn't be controlling this. It should be a free marketplace. I mean, what's wrong with that argument in, in your view? Well, in, in my view, I believe what net neutrality is trying to do is actually protect the free marketplace, the free and open Internet, because the beauty of the Internet is that when you go online, you can go wherever you want. And, and it may be more importantly, if you've got something important to say, you've got a new business you want to start, you've got just as much a chance as anybody else to compete. Uh, but when it comes to those wires that take the Internet into people's homes, there are very few choices. Uh, really, most Americans have one, maybe two choices for high-speed Internet service. And so if you're, if you're a consumer, you have nowhere else to go. You have to do business with those companies. If we allow them to you know, take advantage of that monopoly or near-monopoly status to favor certain content and services, well, that's actually undermining the even playing field. And that's why we need basic light-touch regulations like net neutrality, which has always been part of the Internet since its inception, to make sure that uh, everybody has that chance. You know, there's somebody out there right now thinking of something better than Facebook in their dorm room or the next Google in a garage somewhere. And we want them to have the same opportunity to innovate without permission uh, that, that Google and Facebook had. Uh, net neutrality is what makes that possible. All right. Well, well the uh, FCC voted two to one along political lines, party lines, uh, just Thursday That's to right. kind of basically begin unraveling those what you believe are, are safeguards to allow free access and equal access to the World Wide Web. Um, what does this particular ruling do in your or decision in your view? Make? Well, so this 
starts the process of rolling back these rules. Uh, the way things work at the FCC is you have to introduce the rules and then you open them up for public comment. And in fact, two million people have already uh, offered comments on these rules, on this proposal. These proposed rules is really what they are now. Uh, most of them saying, don't mess with what the good thing we already have. Uh, and, and over the summer, there'll be continued public comment, a chance to reply to what people say. And, and the soonest they could actually act on this would be sometime in the fall. But it, it gets a little bit more complicated from there because just getting rid of net neutrality is actually uh, easier said than done uh, because they have actually got to build a legal case for overturning the perfectly good rules they're proposing to replace. And just because Donald Trump is president is not a good enough reason. So they actually have to build a case. If they can't, they'll be sued and, and they won't be able to do it. So there, there's going to be a fight at the agency, a lot of public pressure. Millions of people have commented. Hundreds were outside of the uh, FCC protesting on Thursday. Uh, th this could go to the courts and Congress could get involved. So, so we're, we're, they're, they're taking the initial steps to undo these rules, but there is a, a lot of fight in front of us. And, and you know, uh, this, this is actually, uh, you know, one of the things as you talk about, you know, the, how, you know, this is going to be a slow process and in going into court. Obviously, the Trump administration right now has an awful lot on its plate. And this is the exact kind of thing that I think a lot of people point to when they say, you know, that the Trump administration is going to get so bogged down and so focused on some of these other problems with this, you know, special prosecutor in the Russian investigation. They may not have the clout to pull off, you know, situations like the fight, you know, against, you know, well, returning right. the situation. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the big questions is that which way does it go? Uh, because I think there's a lot of things, Congress, for example, I mean, if we're headed into impeachment or something like that, you know, Congress is going to have their hands full, not going to be a lot of bills passing. But that can what can also happen during times like that, when you get out into the agencies and the independent agencies like the Federal Communications Commission, is that things start to slip under the radar. And, you know, what that's a good point. A that, that's a good of the day. And, and this is I mean, this is not something um you know, Senator Franken, who obviously is, is Minnesota's U.S. one of two Minnesota's mm -hmm. U.S. senators, has been very, very vocal about this. But this isn't yes, something that I think a lot of. Obviously, you had hundreds of protesters, but in my opinion, this is an issue that is a little bit more complex. I think people have a hard time kind of wrapping their head around it, and so sure. it's a little more difficult to get passionate about. Obviously, you are. I mean, maybe maybe you disagree with my. An analysis I about that. I disagree. I think, you know, anytime you're getting into technological regulations and things, the net neutrality, things that computer engineers and technologists talk about, obviously, you know, that's not going to be the top of everyone's list, especially when they're just inundated with the headlines and the scandals that are coming out of the White House. But about net neutrality is just how many people have paid attention. Last time the FCC took this up, 4 million people filed comments with the agency. You know, most people who pay attention to the Federal Communications Commission didn't know that 4 million people knew what it was. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> well, that, that's, that was more I, and that, that's, that's a lot of people. So that's... Right. That's more people than complained after, you know, Janet Jackson was disrobed at the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> okay. you know, it's one of these things that, it, that has, has taken on and it is complicated. But with the help of, you know, the John Olivers of the world and others who, you know, sort of been able to, to popularize the issue, a lot more people are paying attention. And a lot of people are calling Congress, which is also what I would urge folks to do is make sure they're their representatives know this is happening. You know, Al Franken has been outspoken on this issue. Absolutely a leader. Uh, Senator Klobuchar has definitely been a supporter of the free and open Internet. So 
so so that's that's a good start but it is good there are going to be fights ahead and um you know this is one of those issues uh, you know to flip it on its head a little bit a, a little bit of attention and noise can go a long way uh because places like the federal communications commission aren't actually used to people paying attention to what they do. Right. <laughs> uh, and when people start paying attention and start showing up, uh, they can actually have a real impact. Let, let me ask this. There are a lot of people within who are, I'm sure, listening tonight uh, in um, who, who are still on dial-up in a mode here in terms of, you know, around the region, especially in our rural areas. How does this whole debate affect them? Well, I, I think that it, it affects them in a lot of ways because this is, you know, something that, that has to do. Now, now dial-up actually gives them some protections, strangely enough, uh, because of the nature of it going over the, the, the telephone lines. But the fact is that the future of the Internet is not a dial-up Internet. It is a broadband Internet. Um, well, they're hoping – and there's always a push. It, it seems to always kind of get put in the back burner, but there's still, you know – Many, many people in this country who are still stuck in the dial-up world. Yeah, or or, or and are hoping to go to broadband yeah. soon. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely right. So I think w- what this essentially is is like, what kind of incentives are we creating for the phone and cable companies, you know, uh, and others potentially to invest and actually provide service? And so a world with net neutrality suggests that what you need to do is go build big fast pipes. <laughs> Because that's what your business becomes. You don't, you're not interfering with what's going over. You're not creating scarcity. Your job is get as many people online with as much capacity as they can, as they can handle. Uh, and, and, that, and that's what people want. Uh, if you get rid of net neutrality, there's all these incentive, incentives to sort of say, well, okay, well, we're going to put this little part for our content, but we'll slow down the, uh, the other stuff. And, and you know, it's, it's very closely related to you know, the biggest barrier when it comes to broadband for people is absolutely the cost. Uh, High-speed Internet uh, internet access is available in most parts of the country, not everywhere. There are some remote areas, some very rural areas that are still struggling to get connected for sure. But by far the biggest obstacle to people is actually how much it costs and, and you know, the being able to even pay those monthly bills. Uh, the way to bring that down is with more choice, more competition. Uh, that, that's, that's almost always the answer. Uh, net, net neutrality helps ensure that on the content side. Uh, we also need to be pushing these, these companies to actually invest in their networks and, frankly, do the thing that we're paying them to do. Those of us who are uh, you know, getting broadband and are paying $50, $60, $70, $80 a month, what we want you to do with that is just give us the Internet. <laughs> Don't pick and choose for us. Don't favor one thing over the other. Just give us the Internet and let us do it ourselves. And I think if they paid a lot more attention to that part of their business, if they spent a lot more time investing in their networks rather than putting together these mega billion dollar mergers and spending all this money on lobbyists in Washington, uh, we'd actually have a lot more people connected. And the marketplace would actually work like marketplaces are supposed to work, which is over time prices go down, uh, which, as everyone knows, is not the story with your cable television bill. It only goes in one direction, up and up some more. Right. And But you're saying you don't think that even though this ruling came out uh, because of sort of the, not just the political climate, but the way sort of the rules are set up, that this is not going to have you know an immediate impact um, that you know the process will end up in court at minimum if if it plays out the way it's appearing to play out right now. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, there's no the the best thing the FCC could do is scrap this whole plan. Uh, you know, it, it certainly 
dangerous to hope that the courts will definitely get it right when there's already a policy in place that the courts have signed off on. Um, you know, I don't want people to think that because the FCC voted on Thursday that they should give up and not weigh in. There are still opportunities for the public to get involved and, and make a difference, you know, uh, and there will be future chapters here. But certainly the agency that is supposed to be keeping an eye on the phone and cable companies and keeping them in line, sending all these signals that they're going to do no such thing and essentially giving them a, a rubber stamp uh, if, they, if they vote these rules through in a couple months uh, to discriminate and interfere and manipulate. That, that's, that's not going to be good for any Internet users. And even though that won't be the last word necessarily, uh, it certainly would be a huge step backward. In terms of um, if people are concerned about this issue, what should they do? Well, one thing they should absolutely do is file comments with the FCC. Uh, it's, it's pretty easy. We have a website set up at SaveTheInternet.com uh, that makes it even easier. People can also go to FCC.gov. Um, where they'll be able to find the, the open Internet proceeding. And it's really important for people to tell their own stories. Uh, there's a lot of petitions going around. Free Press, my group, has a petition going around. Uh, but it's great if you can talk about why the Internet is important to you, why the Internet is important to your small business, your family, communicating, entertainment, whatever it is. The, the FCC needs to hear from you. The record that is established in this proceeding uh, they, they actually have to make the rules based on what they hear from people. Uh, the other important thing to do is to call your members of Congress. Uh, if you're calling Senator Franken, you know, you're, you're calling to tell him, keep it up, keep fighting for the open Internet. But uh, making sure all, especially those members of the House of Representatives, know this is an issue you heard about, you're concerned about, makes a really big difference. Because there's a very good chance that this fight ultimately ends up in Congress. And we want, if Congress is going to start writing laws here, we want them to build on a strong foundation, uh, not sort of a race to the bottom with no protections for anybody. All right. Well, listen, uh, a, a very interesting issue. Obviously, the debate will continue. Thank you so much, Craig Aaron, the president of Free Press, for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me. Okay. All right, folks, much more ahead on this Saturday evening. Uh, Esme Murphy, along with studio coordinator Jonathan Lowe. Um, coming up in our next hour, we're going to visit with the author, um, a native Minnesotan, who's written really a, a harrowing book about the loss of his wife uh, during what was supposed to be a dream trip to Guatemala. And uh, it's a, a riveting look at, at what can happen and how he dealt with it and how he overcame it uh, and, you know, built a new life. Uh, it's uh, one that took him a long time to write, so we're going to visit with Rod Jasmer on that. And then at the 8 o'clock hour, the one and only David Schultz. So keep it here. You're looking at News Radio 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It It is 734 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock along with our studio coordinator, Jonathan Lowe. Well, there is a new book coming out that uh, provides a harrowing look at a horrific tragedy uh, in what was supposed to be really a dream trip uh, to Guatemala. It's with a uh, Minnesota native uh, and his wife, uh, Rod Jasmer, has written about that, uh, about the loss of his wife on that trip, uh, the horrific situation they had to deal with it, deal with how he dealt with um, being a, a widower with three very young children. And uh, he has put it all down. It's a story that took him uh, 13 years to write. His wife passed away back in 2004, and it is a book that is uh, raw and, and 
at times difficult to read, but also very, very compelling as well. And Rod Jasmer joining us now. Thank you so much for coming in. Yes. Hi, Esme. How are you? Fine, thanks. Well, listen, let me ask you this, um, because this is really uh, an extraordinary book. You were you and your wife, uh, Valerie, were, were, were people who were sort of adventurers. Uh, that, that you know, um, tell us about some of the things. And first of all, you're from Minnesota. Yes, I grew up in Alexandria. Okay, uh, tell us about um, you know the life you ha- shared with with your your late wife and the kinds of adventures that you went on because it's the kind of life that, that I think a lot of people maybe dream of, but uh, are too tied down to their other obligations to actually pull it off. Well, certainly. Well, many of these initial trips were before we had children. I was doing my graduate work out in Idaho, and, and she was from Idaho. And, and even early on, I just realized that we wanted to do something different. And I had a, actually a, a couple of job offers, and I just I, we don't want to do that. So we ended up um, getting permanent resident visas to go to Australia. And we took off. We packed um, six suitcases, everything we owned. <laughs> And we, we moved down under. And so that was in, um, let's see, 1988. And we started a new life down there. All right. And you were there for how long? Uh, two years, a little over okay. two years. And then you came back. Yeah, and... we, well, we took about five months to come back. We did some overland uh, trips throughout Southeast Asia and, and um, really enjoyed ourselves there. Yeah, but we did come back, came back to Idaho. And then I ended up going back to Minnesota for uh, a job offer I had here. Okay. And you end up having a family. Yes. Okay. We did. We All did. right. Um, this book details um, what occurred uh, during a trip that you took. And, and by this time, you, you had three young, very young children. Uh, and this is a trip in 2004 to Guatemala. Tell us about why you uh, went to Guatemala at, at that time. Well, this was kind of our first trip since having the, the children that we we're going to do something a little bit more adventurous. And we were with another couple, uh, but, but the kids were home. And they were, you talk about uh, small, they were uh, little at the time. I mean, they were 8, 11, and 13 years old. Wow. Okay. And, and so you, you go to Guatemala, and this is not sort of a luxury resort that you're going to. You're, you're keeping with your spirit of, of just uh, hiking and, <laughs> and going off the beaten trail. Trying to recapture some of those moments that we had <laughs> had before a kids, little bit. absolutely. Um, maybe not quite as adventurous, but still, this is northern Guatemala, and and um, we went to a place called Tikal, and, and a lot of your listeners uh, may know of Tikal. It's it's an uh, old Mayan ruin, very um, very fantastic, and and we we just got into the the country, and you know we we, we toured the ruins, uh, came back for a little something to eat. And then went back that night to watch the sunset. One of the things that, that's popular to do in Tikal is to climb one of the um, uh, ruins. And um, we went to Temple 4 and climbed to the top and watched the um, sunset. It was just absolutely fantastic. And w- what happens? Well, um, so later that night, uh, the, what we wanted to do the next day was get up and watch the sunrise. People say the sunrise is even more spectacular than the sunset. So we went to bed reasonably early. So they, they turn off the light. The generators go off at, at roughly, you know, 8.30 to 9.30. And so everything is pitch black at that, at, at that point. And we'd gone to bed in a small little bungalow room. And as we were sleeping, 
um, suddenly I heard a noise coming from, from Valerie. And it was just air escaping from her, uh, her mouth. And immediately uh, the panic set in. But I, I had been trained in first aid, trained in CPR. So I knew something dramatically was wrong, but I didn't know what. I mean, and she had been it? hiking all day? And been hiking, we were, we were, yes, hiking all day. And, and how old were you at, at the time? She had just turned 40 years old. Okay, so still a relatively young woman. Young woman, in her prime, tons of charity work, volunteer work, um, also uh, worked in, in, in Maplewood at the time, and just you know, no signs at all of anything that, that could be wrong. So yes, um, we. So we immediately, I, I tried to get my, uh, the the couple that I, that I was with, and then I, I took her out the bed. I, I didn't know if she was stung, was she bitten, was there a food allergy? Uh, all those things were passing through my mind. What possibly could go wrong? But she was v- struggling breathing. So clearly, I knew something had to be done right. immediately. So I started CPR right away. And obviously, you were not able to. Well, at the time, we, we thought we saw some improvement. Uh, my friends, again, we were, so we're in the middle of the jungle. It's just completely, besides the, the Mayan ruins, there's just forest uh, forever. They were successful um, finding two uh, French doctors, believe it or not, way out in the world. So, so I was continuing to do CPR. They helped us at the time. And then, believe it or not, we found, uh, um, again, I was doing CPR, others found an ambulance, and we were so excited about this ambulance. It was a full-size ambulance. We get into it, and Esme, there's nothing inside. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not a, uh, there's no medicine, there's uh, no uh, equipment. It's, it's just a shell of a box. And so we were so excited to see it, and then there's nothing there that, that can really help us. And so now we don't know. We came into a country uh, a certain way. We were going the opposite way. We really, really didn't know where we were going at all. And we had about a 45-minute um, trip to get to what we thought was a hospital. Well, me and, and the two uh, French doctors continue to do CPR. We get to what we believe is a hospital, and then we can't get in. The gates are closed. Um, we start honking the horn. One of my traveling companions uh, has to scale the gate. Uh, she's a female scaling this gate, gets to the other side, wakes somebody up on the other side. Um, they let us in. Again, we're, now we're excited again. We're, we got to a hospital. Valerie's going to be okay. We believe we're keeping uh, uh, her alive. Get to the hospital, and the look on the people, the attendants that are there, their eyes are as big as baseballs. They didn't know what to do. So we ended up trying to do our own um, <laughs> medicine, right? We were, we were trying to um, give her shots, what, what we found. Uh, we were trying to uh, intubate her, and that was all difficult because I didn't know how to do that. Uh, the right. French doctors were, were, were certainly helpful, but it was the equipment that they were not used to. Right. Um, right. And ultimately, after all that, we were unsuccessful in keeping her alive. So they continued uh, what, we, what we could for several hours. And finally, even though I wanted to continue, they convinced me that she had already passed. Right. But here we were now in northern Guatemala. There was nobody in the hospital. And all of a sudden, the hospital filled with people. There's all kinds of people there. It's, it's light out by this time. And we have a huge language barrier. I don't speak Spanish very well at all. The, the people that I was with 
speak it um, fairly well, but it was still very difficult with a certain kind of a dialect and where we're at and with the excitement, it was it, it was right. very difficult to understand what was going on. Right. And, and and then you've got, of course, three small children, you know, back there and you sort of describe, you know, the, the book kind of goes into all the detail, all the journey. And again, this was 13 years ago. I, I you know, and obviously you describe um, what is, is just by any account, just a nightmare of all nightmares. Well, um, and, and you're somebody who really was a world traveler. This is a very poignant and, and, and moving memoir. But, but let me ask you, I'm sure there are people um, out there listening, you know, wondering if you have any thoughts. What do you tell people um, about what they might want to do or plan for when they go to someplace that is going to be an adventure? Because I think it's a dream of a lot of people. And I think people travel more, especially younger people travel more, I think, than they ever have. Certainly. I'm sure you certainly. get that question. Well, yes. And, you know, there's there's a number of things that you should always be aware of, wherever you're traveling, right? Even if it's in the U.S., but certainly if you're going to maybe a less developed uh, country. And you just need to be cognizant of where you're at and what um, medical facilities they may have, what equipment they may have. And I always talk about um, remoteness versus um, the quality of care that, that you may be getting. There's places in the U.S. you can go that you're very remote. Um, but if you can find a phone, if you can get your cell phone, you can probably get um, medical help there pretty quickly. If you're in a, a different country, that just may not exist. So even if you're in a larger city, um, it may be more difficult to get that medical attention immediately. But if you're in a, uh, say, a third world country and a remote area, then you kind of double that, you know, stack that up on each other. And so you just have to be cognizant of that, that you may have to rely on yourself to some degree or the people that are around you or the people that you can find to, to get that extra, to get that extra help. And, you know, certainly, certainly some basic medical training is very helpful. And then, you know, just um, having some things with you in your, in your backpack that may help save your life at, at any given moment. And I know that, that one of the things, obviously the loss, unimaginable, but I, it sounds like you later found out that, that, that Valerie had some anxieties about this trip. She did. And, um, well, actually, I, I, the night before we left, and we're, of course we're, we're packing up, we're saying goodbye to the kids. Um, it turns out to be a late night. We were going to get up at about 4 in the morning, um, it was probably just before midnight when we, when we went to bed. We just went down, and all of a sudden, she springs out of bed, and she says, Rod, we can't go on this trip. And a little bit of a, a background, she was the one for the months leading up to the trip that really was excited. I was the one that was saying, oh, this may not be a good time. I'm so busy at work. I don't know if I want to do this. And she was saying, Rod, we, there's no good time to take a trip like this. And she was really encouraging me to kind of let go of some of those things and take a trip like this, you know, and, and to maybe um, enjoy that, that part of our lives again. But that night before, she said, we, we can't go. And so I asked her, Val, what, why? She said, well, what if, what, what, what if something happens to us? Uh, what if we get killed? And... I said, well, that, that's a concern, uh, but that could happen any time. 
that can happen anywhere. Um, and, and that is that is true. I mean, you you know, is true. A car that, accident that is, or it, we talked about absolutely. getting hit by a bus. You, you, we took a lot of buses and stuff like that. Local transport when we're in, when there's on the other countries, and they certainly can be dangerous. Um, of course, in hindsight, you can look at that and say, "Oh my gosh." Was that a foreshadowing? Did she have some premonition? Was there something more to this than just being having some anxiety? Maybe the night before this big trip, I'm leaving my kids. Oh, maybe we shouldn't go. Um, so within a, a few minutes of talking about this, she said, "Yeah, yeah, you're right." And, and we and we both went um, and slept for a few hours. And of course, we're, we're up early again. But that haunts me a little bit. Obviously, that's something that I think about. Going, what did you know? Did she? Did you know something uh, that potentially was was going to be uh, right. an issue? But other than that, there was no health concerns. There was nothing that um, we knew about uh, prior to this. And I have certainly talked to our, our family uh, doctors since we've been here. And what she had was equivalent of of an athlete that's on the basketball court and that just kind of keels over and, and, and dies. Valerie, it was not just like a heart attack, but it was a, a massive a loss of blood um, to the heart. And even they're saying, even if she would have been here uh, in her home, she most likely would not have survived. Right. I mean, that, that's what I, I was going to ask you is, <laughs> is in terms yeah. of, you know, what, what, um, and that was, but you had no, um, there was no way that that you knew that in terms of a health, you know, problem going out, you know, going going there at all. You had no way to know that, or or, or to or, or I guess it was it a pre-existing condition she had. Well, so I came back and and uh, the whole autopsy and uh, they wanted to do an autopsy over there, and I initially wanted to to do that because I wanted to find out immediately what happened. I mean, I. I as a t- scientist myself, I just I wanted to know what happened to my wife, and the sooner I can find out, that's going to bring closure. I, I just wanted to know. Well, it turns out that's kind of a longer story. We had we were in, again. I mentioned we were in northern Guatemala. It took us ten hours to get to southern Guatemala. Several flat tires, very rural roads. <laughs> that's kind of part of the um, interesting dynamic of the whole story. But still, once um, once we did. Um, uh, get back, and I did the autopsy. The best pathologist in the state of Minnesota said, "Rod, I'm so sorry. What a tragedy." And he was trying to uh, console me, which was good on one hand, but I just want to say, Doc, I wanted what? What was the cause? And he said, "Rod, I, I can't with any certainty tell you." And that was a huge blow to me. That that took me actually a couple of years to kind of wrap my head around. They have some. Uh, what they believe uh, happened, uh, she had um, technically a, a part of her heart where uh, the cordered artery comes off her aorta. That usually is at a 90-degree angle. Hers was at a 10-degree angle. Wow. So they were speculating maybe if that would have closed off, that would have caused, obviously, this um, loss of blood to the heart, and, and that could have had wow. stratocopic uh, con- a condition. But. Well, it is it is um, remarkable. It, is the book out right now? Because I know I've got like a preview copy here. It is. It just came out. It yes. just came uh, out. Yeah. Um, well, the book is Without Explanation, A True Story of Love and Loss in the Jungle uh, by Rod Jasmer. And it, I know it's up on Amazon. I assume that it's it available Amazon, other places as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, well, obviously. And you say that this has been sort of 
this has helped you write write this book. It has. It's 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 right away when I got home. I, I knew I wanted to document the event. My initial thoughts were just I wanted my kids to kind of know what happened with their mother. You know, the last days of her her life. And then some friends saying, well, I'd like to read that. And, and then it went to, well, maybe this would be helpful to others. And so once that kind of got into my mind, I was thinking, yes, I do really want to publish it. Now, of course, raising three kids and doing all the other stuff, it took me a long time oh. to, to get it done. But um, I, I'm glad it's done. It, it, it's out there, and I'm, I'm getting fantastic feedback. It's, 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 it's very actually overwhelming. Um, the comments I'm getting. So that's, it was all well worth it. Okay, well, Rod Jasmer, and again, the book, Without Explanation, A True Story of Love and Loss in the Jungle. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good evening. Take care. All right, folks, uh, we are going to take a quick break. You are listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Oh, my. It is now 754 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. And I want to invite you to tune in to WCCO-TV Sunday morning. Maybe we can solve the budget problem right there on the show. You know, maybe that that could be it. Both Governor Mark Dayton and House Speaker Kurt Dowd will also be joining me live at WCCO Television, 10.30 a.m. Also, we are going to visit – normally we just have two guests. We're actually going to have three (laughs) because uh, Congresswoman Betty McCollum, uh, we had booked her – and she is obviously um, a very vocal critic of the president, and she really has become much more vocal on Twitter. Really, you know, putting her uh, her spin on on really these amazing developments in Washington. But I, I did want to hear from her, and it's interesting talking to these uh, lawmakers in private. They all say that the the scene is just extraordinary. That it's just they almost have whiplash, just like the rest of us, because the events are are unfolding. So incredibly quickly and so so quickly and dramatically. Um, also, of course, my friend Mike Augustinak on when will it ever stop raining? And well, that's a good question. <laughs> when will it ever stop raining? So please tune in. Uh, we'll actually be on at six a.m. and ten thirty a.m. But really, got some great guests on for that ten thirty show. Um, want to let you know that we still have more ahead. Uh, the one and only David Schultz is going to join me uh, in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, two very big topics. Obviously, the situation with the president, uh, the extraordinary developments that seem to be happening every day in the past 10 days. It, it's really been one thing after another. And he is, uh, in addition to being a political analyst, he is also a constitutional law professor. So he's really a great person to uh, visit with and, and get the perspective from, and he's kind enough to give us his time uh, almost every Saturday when he is in the country. <laughs> uh, and then um, also going to talk to him about the budget impasse at the Capitol. I don't see how they can possibly do it right now. Just the logistics, even if they came up with a bill, how do you get it together in time to meet the Monday midnight deadline? So keep it right here, folks. You are listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. This much I want to hit. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 